Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. We are back as Ligue 1 returned to our weekend screens following a brief pause for the Coupe de France and it certainly feels good to be back. We've seen tense tactical battles, stunning late victories, jaw-dropping upsets and most importantly comical, farcical even, premature goal celebrations involving players eating sweets. Yes, dear listener, there is nothing quite like it. Today, we'll be discussing the latest developments in the title race as Paris Saint-Germain are stunned by ex-coach Antoine Kumbuare as his relegation-battling Canaries secure a win at the Parc des Princes and Monaco and Lille lock horns in a cagey stalemate, while elsewhere, Marseille make it two late wins out of two under Jorge Sampaoli. We'll also be giving our thoughts on France's talented under-21 squad, which has just been announced ahead of the European Championship starting this coming international break, and ending the show with our spotlight section, this time on a slightly more established commodity in French football, Marseille's highly coveted midfield sentinel, Boubacar Camara. I'm Jake Smales, and I'm joined tonight by Eric Devin. Eric will obviously discuss specific matches in the show, so I'm merely asking uh, generally. Um, are you one personally for KG tactical nil-nil draws, or does your heart tend to lie with the so-called goal fest? Um, you know, I, I think it, it really depends on the match. I think if it's high quality and, and keepers are making saves, then I think a nil-nil is just fine. Uh, you know, if you were to ask me, uh, would I rather watch, uh, say, Porto Juventus from the Champions League last week again, or would I rather watch a Monaco Lille again? I, th- I think I might opt for the former. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I think that there is there is quality uh, to be gained from those. And I, I think especially, you know, when it does show something about the way a team's evolving and the way that players are developing, um, I think there is a lot to be learned from those um, and a lot to be savored from those even. Yes, I would agree entirely. Um, I'm also joined by Muhammad Ali. Uh, Mo, how is the blood pressure doing after all these late Marseille victories? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's been it's been definitely uh, an issue for the last couple of days. It's been rising, but also it's 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 also been uh, I've enjoyed like a really good conclusion from some of the matches lately. I think I was actually thinking to myself after the. Um, the Lille defeat a couple of weeks ago, you know, when was the last time that we'd actually won a match very late on, like in a dying moment. Um, and yeah, it's happened twice, twice in a week. So that's, that's very good. The next stop is to win by four goals or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like maybe a OMRO would one of those, the late wins are kind of like, whatever they say, that cliche about trains, you know, coming, you know, they never come, yeah. they come to at once, you know. Uh, anyway, we will, of course, be uh, coming on to Marseille, but let's start with Sunday night's match. Paris Saint-Germain welcomed Nantes to the Parc des Princes, knowing that a win over Les Canaries, currently in the thick of a relegation battle, could see them reclaim top spot going into the final nine games of the season. They, of course, had successfully navigated a challenging Champions League second leg against Barcelona midweek. Ahead of the night, Nantes sat 19th, three points from safety and had taken five points from a possible 12 under their new coach, Antoine Comboare. After a slow start for PSG, it appeared to be a case of business as usual, with Julian Draxler giving the host the lead in the closing stages of the first half. However, sloppy play in the second saw Randall Colo Muani equalise for Nantes on 59 minutes, 
with the visitors pouncing on a sloppy back pass from none other than Kylian Mbappe, celebrating his 100th league appearance for the club. Things went from bad to worse, however, when Alban Lafont's goal kick was allowed to bypass the PSG defence, with Moses Simon punishing Le Parisien and giving Nantes an unlikely lead, a lead they were able to hold on to, securing a sensational 2-1 win. We should mention, however, that the match has been somewhat overshadowed uh, by events off the pitch, uh, as during the match, fees broke into the homes of Angel Di Maria um, and also that of Marquinhos' father. Um, fortunately, it seems no one was seriously injured, although uh, Marquinhos' father was reportedly um, assaulted physically. Um, all our thoughts that get French football news obviously go out to, to those affected. Um, prosecutors are currently investigating uh, these incidents and PSG have since increased the security around their players' homes. So, um, yes, all our thoughts and hopes with that matter going forward. Um, anyway, on to the football. 19th placed, facing an, the 19th placed side in the league at home at, and it's PSG's first Ligue 1 loss at the park after being in a winning position since May 2014. Eric, this was a poor performance and a real opportunity missed, right? Oh, of course. I mean, given given the results, um, you know, all of the other teams in the top four had dropped points over the weekend. And, uh, you know, even with PSG's absences, uh, most notably Neymar um, and, and Moise Ken, I mean, there were... You know, there. This this was not. This is absolutely an opportunity missed. Um, I think. Yeah, there's nothing else to say other than this is. You know, a, a matter of frustration, and um, I think that uh, it, it really does show that you know, for all the all the excitement that we can have in terms of Kylian Mbappe's development and how he's progressed as a player, that you know. Is is he there? Is he is he is he is he able to put a team on his back? You know, I know we we joke, we've talked. There's been you know innumerable discussion about he and Erling Braut Holland being the next generation of superstars, and we we saw you know uh, perhaps a bit of a repost of that this weekend, but with uh, you know Ronaldo scoring that hat trick for Juventus and Mbappe turning in this performance, uh, you know. Again, when the chips are down, uh, with you know your heavily money team needing a good performance, you know Ronaldo delivered and Mbappe didn't. Now again, there's mitigating circumstances here, but at the same time, I think that um, you know, you know, yeah, to, to concede uh, in that manner and fr- directly from his mistake as well is worrying. You know, I, 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 I'm not saying that I don't think. You know, Mbappe can be a transformative player, but I feel like, you know, I'll I'll put this back to you guys. Could we honestly say that he's progressed and improved as a player by any large margin in the four years he's been at PSG? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, perhaps since that first season, but subsequently, you know, I'm not sure we've seen him perhaps raise his game in these in these in these kind of matches, Eric, as you mentioned, when the chips are down and it's it's maybe a match that is more difficult to to find motivation for, uh, particularly in light of the game that we that, that Paris Saint-Germain were playing earlier in the week. But, um, you know, this does seem to be something that comes up uh, on a regular basis. I, I think it is all well and good. And, you know, quite rightly, we should praise praise him for, you know, the, at, the, at Camp Now a few weeks back. But these games matter, don't they, Mo? I mean, 
as I, as I was saying, this is such an opportunity missed, and you would you would bank on Mbappe, particularly on his 100th appearance for the club in Ligue 1, at, at making the difference. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's it's these games that have been probably the bane of PSG's lives for like several years now. Um, the inability to draw out opponents to be convincing, especially when um, you know, like they're expected to to put these opponents away, um, but also take an opportunity that's been presented to them. You know, they've been not top for for a while. Um, you know, they've been obviously focusing on the Champions League, and they've been, uh, I think, a marked step up by the rivals' opponents in the title race of the season. So, when an opportunity has presented itself, and or even you know, you know, even following drags as forty second minute opener, you'd expect that. The, this vastly assembled uh, team could um, sort of at least manage to hold on, control the game throughout. We've seen on many, many occasions, particularly in seasons gone by, um, and it, with many of these players, um, very, very good game management, solid uh, football, you know, even away from home, um, where they focus on getting three points. We've seen Mbappe unlock many games before, but. You know, this season requires a little bit more. It requires still a little bit of intensity. Perhaps they're not used to the fact that they're in a title race. Um, and not just a title race with one other team. You know, a title race with three other teams where each result um, can have ramifications. And also the games against such opponents are coming thick and fast in between the Champions League pursuits as well. Um, and it's just it's just a, 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 you know, a massive point missing. You're going to be looking towards Kylian Mbappe. You're going to be looking towards um, the star um, the star striker, particularly Neymar's absence. You're going to be looking towards Marco Verratti as well um, to resemble the sort of performance they had, for example, in Barcelona a couple of weeks ago, um, which was high-performing, high-quality, and a performance which actually didn't match the rest of the team. It was really an individual um a showing and you're expecting at least at home against a team that are pretty much bereft of confidence and, and 19th and looking to you know get anything from this game but also focusing um on the games that matter to put them away from home and i thought actually in the first half that they were sort of making good progress towards the three points i thought it was soon going to be settling into a straightforward paris Saint-Germain home win um you know Alaphant was kept um, really, really busy, um, and yeah, there were one or two chances, particularly the penalty appeal from Mons. But you know, they they were sort of starting to grind the gears and get forward, um, and then for obviously reasons that may or may not be um, related to what happened um, throughout the you know off the field throughout the game last night, the second half literally was just like a flick of the switch, and lots of issues, lots of. Um, Poor moments, lots of uh, a lack of concentration, and then Nantes for were, were pretty much good value. Um, that's performance that obviously they will take to the bank for sure. Um, their first win in Paris for a long, long while, um, and obviously has huge ramifications for top or bottom. But you will see, uh, particularly with uh, PSG having a lot of work to do in the next two, three weeks. You know, even before the Champions League gets going. They still have a lot of tough fixtures to play, Leon and Nil next, and they cannot afford to be in this situation because I think, you know, three games against teams who are first and third, uh, plus the cup game, 
oh, including the cup game, um, that's your season right there, unfortunately. Um, and I don't think I've seen Poch yet um, really take this PSG side. I don't think there have been massive improvements. Yes, the Champions League results, it's very, very easy to, to um, you know, laud them. And they do deserve a lot of credit for that because it was a swashbuckling performance in, in Camp Nou. But you really have to look at individual showings there. Kaylon Navas in second leg, Kylian Mbappe in the first leg, and more than others. Um but then look at their domestic form. That's the third time that they've lost after Champions League games just this year, um, in 2021, that they've only won three of eight games after the Champions League since the August final. Um, it's, you know, they're, it, uh, they don't look like the team that can really manage it all and hold it on um, in all four competitions, in all three competitions going forward. So this is going to be a really, really pivotal few weeks for them. And they're going to need players like Mbappe to step up and really get the job done in the games which, you know, really look straightforward on paper. Yeah, it's interesting that that is the third, as you mentioned, the third time that that's happened after a Champions League game. And actually, Pochettino was saying after the match, he said, for a Champions League match, there was a lot of physical and mental energy demanded. And now we can see that we struggled. We've kind of talked before about about fatigue perhaps being an issue or or motivation. What I'm noticing with a lot of these games is that it seems to me that this this side under Pochettino is struggling against teams that play a certain way. Um, I mean, for example, we saw Nice previously set up at the park with a back three. Paris Saint-Germain looked to struggle in that match a little bit. Monaco set up with a back three won the game at the Parc des Princes. Lorient set up with a back three uh, and beat Paris Saint-Germain 3-2 um, in Brittany. And now this is another team that sets up in that way um, and secures a win at the Parc des Princes. Do, do we think perhaps that that this is a side under Pochettino that struggles against teams that use that system or that play a certain way? I think you can make the argument. I think you've provided a couple of really good examples there. Um I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Brest, no, Brest had a back four, but they were also, I think, a team that did really well um, at the park. They did end up going down 3-0 because of that late sort of collapse. Um, but you've seen, particularly in, in in the park, that teams are now coming to play. They're not, they're not um, sort of sitting back. Three winless games of the park depends now for the PSG in a row, obviously, including the Champions League draw. Um you know, they're coming there to play, they're coming there to set up, they're coming there to absorb the attacks. And PSG are just not clinical enough. They're not converting any of the chances. There's tactical hesitancy where there was perhaps, you know, I think some of the more formidable PSG sides of years gone by, they were not just clinical, but they were incisive. They were they were confident playing with a swagger, particularly at home where teams would, would you know, normally get smacked for five or six. Yeah. Um, on occasion, we're just not seeing that. I don't think that's clearly, you know, necessarily a potch problem. It might be the co- you know the consequence of this sort of um, weird season and, and you know fatigue and you know Champions League games coming in thick and fast. Um, the lack of a pre-season, even though they did have five months off, but that's not essentially a uh, a positive. Um, you know, we saw this um, under. Tuchel's last few, you know, few weeks where they lost to Lyon, drew with Bordeaux, uh, lost to Man United, lost to Marseille, um, and you know it's 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 something that they really got to address um, going forward. I think it's hard to really put a 
a definitive answer to that because I think there's just so many variables in play. I mm -hmm. think um, you you might just have to chalk this one down to just the way that things are developing at the moment because of this weird season that things are a little bit out of how they perhaps normally are. Um, but like I said, no sympathy essentially when you consider the teams, um, the difference in, in, in quality and difference in monetary value and, and all of that, the riches are available to Paris Saint-Germain. You can't really get down into the nitty gritty about um, you know what, what's not working for them and what what luck is going against them. I, you know, obviously, I wish I had sympathy for that, um, but um, it's 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 not the case. I think not in particular. Some of the teams have gotten results against Paris Saint Germain. They've done so because they've played out of their skin. And, able, and also, you've got to point to the fact that uh, a really good opposition. I've not seen for a long, long time a very good Paris Saint Germain team lose um, and deserve. You know, didn't deserve to lose in Liga with the exception of that very weird game at Monaco, um, where they can obviously feel hard done by. But when they do lose, 99% of the time, it's because they pretty much deserve to. And you don't, there's a, there's many things missing from, from that team. Um, so, yeah, I think, we'll, like I said, you know, mentioning the couple of games that they've got coming up, they are season-defining, and then we'll see what they are made of because they're not facing big teams who really don't have much to play for as, as has been the norm they're facing the teams who are directly up against them for for the silverware and they will be in the case of for example Leon that is the game of the season they've not got any Europe they've got not got um any sort of uh focus elsewhere and and for example with Lille having just been knocked out of Europe but this is the season right here right now um where you know they I don't know what Lille will see in the cup because they might put all their baskets, eggs in the basket for securing a Champions League place and having a real shot at the title. So I, I think things are absolutely not done yet. But Paris Saint-Germain, um, you know, the Champions League is not going to resume for another four weeks. Uh, they're very fortunate in the fact that the South American World Cup qualifiers are out um, at the end of March. So there's a lot of work to be done and not a lot of time to do it in. Um, but we will have a really big idea of where this direction will go, how the season will go. Um, and what sort of state of mind and you know form the players are in in the next two three weeks? Yeah, and certainly those big games will be the um, be the ultimate test. But it, you can't help but think, even if Paris Saint Germain were to get results in some of those, but still fall short come the end of the season, that they'll look back on games like this one, like that match against Lorient uh, in Brittany, and think, what if? Because it does seem that this Paris Saint Germain side, for my money, are there to be. Uh, got if you are a little bit more courageous. I know Nantes only had 26% of possession, but um, you have to say that they were good value for the result. Uh, with that in mind, then just to finish off on this one, I think credit where credit's due. Um, you know, Antoine Camboari, I mentioned um, five points in 12, uh, five points out of a possible 12 going into this one. Not exactly kind of revolutionary stuff since coming in, but certainly better than better than the return of um, of Raymond Dominic. Eric. Um, that's Nantes' first win in 19 years at the Parc des Princes. As I said, they came out fighting. We've talked before on the show about about potential momentum swings and stuff. How pivotal do you feel uh, this scalp could be for for the rest of Nantes' season? Do you see it kind of having a having a significant impact, or or kind of do you think it will be back to business as usual in the coming? Um... Well, I do think there's a lot to be taken from uh, playing the playing this three at the back for them. 
I think in those three central defenders he has in Castellito, Girotto, and Palois, he's got um, three mobile center backs. And I think it also does a lot to sort of cover up the weaknesses that uh, Not may have defensively in terms of their fullbacks. Uh, you know, Corsi is injured, Fabio is injured as well. But both of they, both they and, and Charles Traore, I think are, are for as fine as they are getting forward, are um, a little bit suspect defensively at times. And I think that this helps cover for that. I think we saw a good performance from Pedro Shirovella. I think it also we also saw a lot more fluency in attack. I think that a lot of what Nott have struggled with since the departure and unfortunate passing of uh, Emiliano Sala has been uh, a desire to want to adhere to playing that same sort of target man style. But I think that with the likes of Simon and Kola Muani, um, that's not really what their best best attacking options are. I know they do have other you know aerially strong strikers on the roster. Thinking about Khalifa Koulibaly. Um, and Renault Amond as well. But I do think that um, they, they have other attackers who I think could be a lot more dangerous. I'm thinking about Abdulkader Bamba as well, for example. Um, Imran Luza, who came off the bench and has been uh, an impressive performer as well at times this season. So I think that, um, again, playing this, whether it's a, whether you consider it a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2, um, I, I think what it does allow is for more freedom and, and, and in attack for Nantes and for those players to... Uh, play in a way that it fits their roles all uh, a bit more naturally. Uh, indeed. Um, and it will be f- interesting to see whether Convoire does stick with this system and whether it is enough to carry Nantes into safety uh, and, uh, yeah, going forward. Um, and, yeah, just to flag up, that is now nine defeats for PSG in all competitions for the first time since 2011-12, uh, the first season uh, under the QSI ownership. So if there, there was ever a year to catch them, uh, for those at the top of the table, it would be this year. Let's move on to look at another new arrival in Ligue 1. We were talking about Kombuari, I guess part of the furniture in a way, given how long he's been there. But of course, he has only recently taken over as Nantes head coach. Uh, I am, of course, referring to Marseille's new head coach, Jorge Sampaoli. His side welcomed Breton opposition to the velodrome for the second time in four days on Saturday as they hosted Brest uh, in his second match in charge, Sampaoli's. Uh, the Argentines' first game at the velodrome had seen OM secure victory over Rennes thanks to a late goal from substitute Mikael Cuisance. Brest, meanwhile, had been in patchy form and came into this one off the back of a 3-0 defeat to Paris Saint-Germain in the Coupe de France. Arcadius Milik uh, continued his strong start to life in the south of France by opening the scoring for OM on the stroke of half-time after a relatively uneventful first half. Um, Marseille put the pressure on in the second half, but it was Brest who hit next, equalising through defender Lilian Brassier via a Romain Feve free kick with just under 20 minutes to go. Nevertheless, much as against Rennes, OM up the ante late on and pounced on some sloppy passing to score through Florian Tovan on 88 minutes, the same time they found the lead and the win midweek. Substitute Luis Enrique, having set up Tovan, then did the same for fellow replacement Mikael Cuisance, who made it two goals in two to give OM a 3-1 victory. Mo, OM, um, well, Sampaoli will be hoping that he can play Breton uh, opposition every week, won't he? Um, What did you make of, of this performance? Um, yeah, I think uh, this match was um, very much an image of the rain game. Three days uh, previously, it's been a busy period for for OM with games every 
three, four days for, for a short while now. Um, and you're just seeing a lot of intensity, a lot of fatigue in the team. Um, not to see, you know, there's been a couple of rearranged games. There's been, obviously, the cup games. And as we've spoken many times on, on this podcast, I think the whole tumult, um, you know, issues that have been going on has, has obviously impacted the players, both physically and mentally. But it really did feel like a sort of a new era begun um, with, with Sam Powell. I mean, this was the end of his first week. He, you know, he, he only came out of quarantine last Monday. Um, and you can really see some of um, the progress that has been made um, just as friends on Wednesday. We had the 5-3-2 yeah, formation, um, and that's really a formation where Sam Pauli thinks it's more of a quick fix in the short to medium term. I think he recognises that this is not his squad, that the players are unable to play in the standard you know, 4-3-3 or 4-4-2 uh, formation that they've been, you know, really seeing under under Lage, under AVB as well, um, and that in 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 the image of what he wants to um, achieve, you know, with the, with the playing staff, that that's just not going to happen um, in those formations. So he sets up with a five three two, and OM are building confidence because I think that's what's been lacking. They've been not they've been really timid in the final third. There's been a lack of movement, a lack of um, creativity, you know, Pai and Torvan in particular have been long off. Um, Milik, who is only the sort of the saving grace, and you've got a couple of hungry players coming off the bench. Um, you know, there's just really a lack of um, sharpness in, in the final third. I think that's one of the first things that Sam Paoli has looked to create. And obviously, playing with five at the back, he thinks that the defence has been an issue while trying to. Um, get the best out of Paul Lerola, who I think has been one of the main beneficiaries of uh, San Paoli because he, he mm. plays really, really well on the right. Um, you know, he, in, he, everyone did know, you know, the fact that Fiorentina also played a uh, three-five-two-five-three-two formation. This is a, a, a you know right midfield is where he has shone, and in, in the off chance that Fiorentina did play four four at the back, you know, Lerola has looked a bit sort of weaker, and that turn that to be the case to anybody with a with half a brain, you know, that that's not going to happen. Obviously, you know, he had no choice, uh, but that really is his formation and what, you know, where he shines and it's really come, come good. I thought he had an excellent game on Saturday and you were thinking, um, you know, looking up for the first half, you know, Milik scored essentially the last touch of the, uh, the, the first half. I mean, it looked like it was going to be a really stodgy, turgid game. Yes, again, I mean, Brass were looking to sit back and absorb OM, I didn't think that they were uh, really proficient in the final third themselves, but um, they did cause a, a few issues. But, you know, Cowie, who had a great cameo against Nice, I think that is more a flash of the pan. It's not going to happen again. And I think the fact that he's been substituted the first around the band, the half-time mark, um, goes to show um, that mm. I think in, in, in the new OM, so to speak, going forward that I don't think there'll be a place for him but we have seen more creativity we've of course seen more fluidity between Payet Tolvan who are serving Milik we've seen uh, more cohesion and once that confidence builds in the second half I think the 1-1 uh, goal uh, that saw uh, Brassi head in past Lavanda I think there are a couple of defensive fragilities. I think, you know, it's 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 to expect I don't think Mandanda in particular has been really good over the last couple of weeks I think 
that San Alvaro are not as sharp as they can be. Belardi in particular over the past week has actually uh, been quite interesting. I think he he's by far a better player in the three than he is uh, with just one centre back. Um, and essentially, I think I think it's really really good. And you, you've obviously seen Luis Enrique uh, three assists in in forty one minutes over the past week. Uh, Mikel Quisans, who was really abject for a long period under AVB, uh, other than in its very first game, has now come in um, as a sort of a, a really good substitute um, option and has an eye for goal. You know, they're now really taking the shots and really, um, you know, getting into decent areas and creating a lot more chances. And you saw with that unlock that we saw with Tolvan um, running off to greet San Paoli and hugging the coach, etc., that it just feels like a corner has been turned. Um, and it was actually quite reminiscent. I think a couple of people mentioned it of the way uh, Andre Piagini and Marcel Bielsa sort of had a tender moment a couple of years ago. Um, that, you know, the players are now really enjoying the training. There's a lot more uh, focus and intensity. And I think everyone's really just put a couple of games behind them. Uh, obviously, the period, tough period um, that we've seen over the past month or two, um, which is great. It's fantastic. I think, you know, they're fifth now. Um, you know, really playing right to the last, uh, scoring, um, you know, young young players off the bench are seeing minutes and also seeing goals. You're getting Tov and Payet getting back and obviously Eric Milik, you know, long time number nine we've been looking for and he's scoring and it is actually on track to reach double figures um, in all competitions for OM by, by the end of the season, which is, I think, a really decent return. Um, so it's great. I mean, it's all looking good. There's a tough game, relatively tough game, uh, coming up at Nice at the weekend. But really, this is a period where I think OM should be really plain sailing over the last of the last nine games. I think seven wins should be the target because the fact that they're only going to be playing Montpellier away from home of the teams currently in the top ten, um, and Mets on the final day of the season, you know. This is a fantastic run of form. And I think the fact that OM had struggled in this period of the crisis, et cetera, but also were very unfortunate playing Rennes, playing Lyon, playing Lille, playing Paris, playing Monaco. You know, I think that was just a really sort of unfortunate bit of a fixture calendar. I think that just um, essentially made the optics a little bit worse. But really, San Paolo has the perfect conditions now to negotiate the end of the season. And then we'll see in the summer. But fifth place at the moment, I think they should really kick on from that bit. It's all coming up rosy for uh, for San Pauli then. In, I just yeah, the Velodrome. Go sorry, for it. Yeah, I I felt I, I agree. I watched this match. I, I had little to do with my Saturday morning for for a change. Uh, <laughs> so I I did watch this match. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I don't disagree with any of this. I think I thought Pae and, and Milik in particular looked looked great. Looked hungry, um, which is. You know, we can say that, you know, Pi maybe looks hungry in, in other ways more often than not. <laughs> um, but no, no, in all seriousness, I, I thought breasts were awful, though. You know, I, yeah. I, I know you can only beat what's in front of you, but this was, you know, I've seen them, uh, you know, a half dozen times this season, eight, ten times this season. I think this is probably the worst I've seen them play. Um, Lon going off an injury. John Lucas looked, you know, sort of fitful. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we should, we should take you know, that as a grain of salt, perhaps, um, vis-a-vis this performance. I, I do think that, 
um, you know, ending the season on an upward trend with Sampelli at the controls would be good for the team's morale going forward. But um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of wonder at this point in time, especially with the squad need, needing to be restructured, as it were, um, you know, would finishing fifth be a poison chalice for Marseille at this at this point in time? I kind of have to think yes, given given all, given all the uncertainties that the, the squad face. Um, you know, over the features of of players like Amavi, uh, uh, Tova, and being on a contract, Arpaye and Mondanda going to stay for the length of their very lengthy contracts at this point in time. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure that. Uh, you know, it, it is an improvement. Again, I want a strong Marseille, but I still, yeah, I still have questions over this. Um, yeah, to answer, to answer your questions, I think, first of all, I definitely do agree. I don't think Brest were particularly at all very good. Um, I think, you know, in particular, Stephen Mounet, um leading the line really did little, I think, until that chance they had in the first and second half. Um, with it with the equaliser, they were pretty much fortunate to get that. And I don't think they offered uh, anything, really. I think Larsenal was the only player of note. Um, but then again, what we've seen is OM struggle against teams that really have no business um, threatening them at all. I mean, I'm just looking at um, the Nantes game a couple of weeks ago, um, where you know Nantes were back then in, in pretty dire form um, and really did not, do anything to to land a punch in the OM apart from that horrible Mandanda mistake and ended up coming away with a point because OM just could not unlock that defence. Uh, Dijon being another example, um, you have um, obviously Canet Roussillon uh, just, just last weekend. Um, you know, you've, yeah, it's it's the, the win is important. The fact that they have been able to score three, I think it shows more of what OM can achieve um, and I think it's just the sort of game that you need to at least sort of, sort of grease the, um, you know, the wheels, etc., and mm. then focus on the more um, tougher, tougher games coming up. So, like I said, Nice and Montpellier soon. Um, it's considering that it came three days after the rain game, which I thought was a, a good, solid performance in terms of defensive. Um, uh, and defensive mentality in terms of the intensity they showed in midfield. Um, and I think they were very fortunate to get that victory. I think Mikko Kuitans coming up had done the world of good uh, for the team. Um, but really, in four days, they've, get, they've got six points, um, which is more than you could say for every, anything that's been done since since January. Um, so it's a fantastic place to build. And on your point about the Europa League, I think the Europa League is essential for them. Um, I think not qualifying for Europe at all um, would be a significant setback because there's still money to be made, essentially. You know, I think uh, whatever happens this summer, um, McCourt has promised funds to the club and has, you know, promised to be a more uh, involved owner. I think Pablo Longoria has shown his, um, you know, ability in the transfer market to get deals. Um, I necessarily don't think of the three uh, players that have been learned with options. I'm talking about Belardi, Cuisance and, and Lirola that perhaps one of them will go. I think we can see a couple of them being extended in this sort of COVID affected year and you know other other issues in, in European football and and whatnot. I think I think they they will be extended. Um if Torvan goes so be it. 
Um, I, I think everyone's got faith in in San Paoli and and uh, and Longoria in finding the players that can fit into the system that San Paoli wants to play. Because clearly, the squad as it is today, um, it, it's not suited to that. Um, so no one is afraid of a bit of turnover. Um, and the fact that Frank McCall has promised some investment, I think Europa League would be very key. Uh, because the Champions League has proven at this stage to be obviously one step too far for OM. Um, Europa League would be a decent barometer. And I think, you know, coming out of the group, a, a potential group in the Europa League is should be the objective, at least for this team, and to build some respectability, shall we say, continentally, of course, but also to um, uh, entice players to come to the Balladrum and, you know, show that OM is still a big pool. Um, the Europa Conference League, I think, of course, if they do finish, that's where they'll go. Um, of, you know, they would have to be, I think, within the top five favourites for that. I think that would offer. Um, <laughs> I don't exactly know what, what that competition would mean, or I probably do. What I do know is probably there won't be as much money in that competition, um, and it might be more of a nuisance than a than a bona fide sort of test and objective for for the team. Um, but I'm not worried, um, and I certainly don't think that it will be a poison chance. I think this team does need European football. I think, should they miss out, particularly, like I said, from this position, um, and with the quality they have, because, they're, like I said, they're not fighting Ren, they're not fighting Mafalia, they're not fighting Nice, it's Lons and Mips. Um, you know, that are Very the true. key, you know, it's, it's, it's the race. Uh, Ren have been really appalling so far. Montpellier, I mean, while they're not out of the race, it's really Lons and Mets who don't look like they're giving up that race. Um, so you think you have to. Um, and like I said, everybody but OM in the top seven are facing each other. Like Lons and Mets will be facing Lille, PSG, Lyon and Monaco, at least three of the four, while Marseille face none of the four. You know, it's really lining up for the team, and there's no excuse in mm. my mind. Yeah, it's certainly a favourable, uh, favourable running. I mean, maybe McCourt was referring to the uh, UEFA Conference League when he when he made those comments about OM competing for the Champions League or winning the Champions League, whatever whatever it was. Maybe that's what he meant, um, which would certainly be a more realistic target. But but yeah, you have to say, you know, if if Marseille do qualify for the Europa League, which looks perfectly feasible now. Um, with Longoria kind of presumably still having a significant say in in recruitment, despite his change of role, that that you know it it could be a pretty pretty promising uh, promising summer for for OM. Um, let's move on to the final match from the weekend that we will be discussing, which is that which was billed as the main event, and that is Sunday's clash between Monaco and Lille at the Stade Louis II. Lille remained top uh, and held a tight but precious two-point lead over Paris Saint-Germain, while Monaco's recent loss to Strasbourg had seen them fall slightly behind in proceedings in terms of the four-horse title race. They, however, remained the best-performing team of 2021 in Ligue 1, having amassed 11 wins uh, and one draw in all competitions. Uh, Lille had the first big chance of the game through Timothy Weah before the teams began trading off opportunities both, however, failing to capitalise. A crucial save from Magnon against Steven Jovetic kept things at nil-nil in the second half, and that is how the match ended. Limited chances for both sides, though Lille perhaps will be feeling slightly more relieved uh, for having got through with a point, particularly given Paris Saint-Germain's result later that evening. Um, 
Eric, I, I saw the the XG stat for this one was 0.61 to Monaco, uh, 0.16 to Lille, um, and I kind of mentioned at the top of the show this was a very uh, this was a very tight kind of cagey match, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think that uh, this was this was not one for for the purists, um, but I think at the same time, I, I think that this was a, a match that absolutely lived up to its billing, if not in terms of its its excitement, in terms of its its uh, tactical points, uh, in terms of uh, teams playing with uh, a drive and, and an ambition to 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 want to win, to want to get the three points, um, and I also think that you know it did sort of, you know, offer a reminder what these teams' limitations are. Um, and I, I think um, I think for me, the main takeaways are is it shows that Monaco playing this three-man defense um, sort of are at a crossroads, and, that, and it's why uh, Niko Kovac has, has rightly said they're not uh, title contending material yet, despite their, where they are in the standings. Uh, I think that... Um, by playing that three at the back, yes, they're far more solid, but uh, they also don't really quite have what it takes to play on the counter, uh, particularly with Golovin in the eleven. I, I, I am, I know Golovin's been playing well, but I, I really have to say, I'm shocked that uh, Sofian Diop uh, didn't get the start there, given how well he's done, mm. particularly in matches against the bigger teams. Um, and then you know, Lille as well. I think, I think we're, we're solid, we're, we're impressive. Uh, Mignon coming up big with that side at the end. Or the save at the end, um, but I think that we have to look um, also at um, uh, the fact that you know with the Azizi out of form and and Yilma is not fit enough to start, uh, what Lille's limitations are. So I think a draw is the fair result, uh, and it you know it, it's it said you know both these teams are solid, uh, they're impressive, they're well organized, um, they have you know some excellent uh, dynamic young players, particularly in the case of Monaco's midfield, Chalmany and. Fofana, um, but I, I do think that um, it shows why Monaco are just a cut below uh, in terms of uh, the title race and uh, and why um, why the title race will go yeah will go down to the end because um, both of these teams uh, or these t- these teams exemplified what, how they're able to shut down uh, opponents to a really impressive degree and uh, will make uh, the matches to come very very cagey. Kovac didn't sound overly happy the way that Lille kind of approached the match he said they came to play for a draw on the counter it was a game of chess and I guess you know that's the kind of comment that you could view more positive or, or a slight criticism of the way that, that Galtier's side approached this one but 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 yeah what are, what are your thoughts do you think that Monaco can feel hard done by? Um, absolutely not I mean what do you expect um, <laughs> they sort of abandon abandon their sort of tactics and just play as they should um you know, it's we're getting into the sort of business end of the season, and they love the team to be hunted essentially. Um, and obviously, Monaco have a lot of ground to make up. So, I think what we will be seeing with with Galtier is that, particularly in you know in this period where things are up in the air, there's still competitions to play, this this rotation um, that needs to be had. That you're going to be seeing some cautious approaches to to his XR. You're going to be seeing um, more conservative football I suppose you, you know you can say um, particularly when it comes to their playing their title rivals and I think you'll, you'll see uh, another instance of this when they play Paris in the Cup um, coming soon mm-hmm. um, 
And I think for, for Kovac to say that, I think, like I said, what he, what, what will he, he be expecting? I think um, Monaco did have the chances. Jovetic, particularly in the second half, is a very key example of that. And Lille, in particular, did have, you know, they did carve out some openings. I think Bamba was pretty um, fortunate to miskick that ball that he, with the opportunity that he had. Um, and I think, and uh, probably everyone, particularly the coaches, can agree to this point that the draw was the fairest result. I think what you did have is two sides who, while Monaco were perhaps the more forward-thinking of, of the two teams, neither side wanted to lose this game. And I think they did enough to at least reach that premier objective. In, in, in Lille's case, it would have meant that Paris Saint-Germain had any option to to go ahead um, of them in the table and obviously with you know not, not uh, extending the lead over Lyon. Um, and in Monaco's case, a defeat there could have probably called curtains on their title campaign. Uh, more or less, it would have taken something extraordinary for them to come back. Um, and I think that's that's just it. It was two well-stocked teams, two um, interesting, um, you know, head-to-head sort of battles across the field, um, an interesting sort of midfield battle. Um, at the end, I think a point is the fairest result. Both teams had their chances, neither took them. Um, and they live to fight another day, technically. So it's as you were, and particularly with Paris Saint-Germain and Lyon both failing to win, neither side could really be um, half, you know, be half, uh, half against the result. Um, and yeah, I think what we, you know, seven points uh, between the top four. I think, you know, the games are coming thick and fast. Monaco um, facing Etienne and then Metz, and then you've got, you know, like I said, PSG Lille. Um, Leon PSG as well, the big the big game next week. They can sort of sit back and now focus on really making progress and then watching what their rivals do. And I think that's a really good place to be because the pressure is not on them. They've been fought for practically the half the season. Um and they're really hitting their stride of being the best team in 2021 league and the best tribe partnership, so on and so forth. So patience from them. Um I don't necessarily think this is a chance miss, but obviously I think obviously three points would have done them the world of good, but you know. The objective was not to lose this game, and they've reached that objective. A, a key part of of them, uh, of of I should say, Lille not losing that game was uh, Mike Menor, um, who I feel perhaps hasn't necessarily got the same plaudits this season as some of his teammates. You know, we talk Eric talked there about how Yuzici's, um not in the best form and how Yilmaz has, has, has been missing, and this side have definitely missed him. You know, we've made quite a lot of the attackers, obviously. Um, Sven Botman and, and Font rightly have been have praised for their performances. But I saw um, that according to L'Equipe's ratings, Mignon is is rated as the second best keeper in the league behind Kaylor Navas. Um, Eric, do you think that's kind of a fair, uh, a, a fair kind of, I guess, position in, in the standings of overall goalkeepers in the league for 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 Mike Mignon? And yeah, how, how important is he to this to this side and, you know, to their potential title bid? Well, I think much like much like Navas, I think that you know what's what's thrown at him, as it were, uh, is the fact that oh well, you know, of course, if you if you were playing behind Botman and, and Fonch, you'd have this record as well. But yeah, I, I I think that the ability to come up with big saves in crucial moments, uh, you know, when your normally reliable defense does let you down, as as Navas has done time throughout his career, and is as Mignon did yesterday, is key and is what separates a good goalkeeper from, or is what separates an excellent goalkeeper um, from a good goalkeeper. And I, I do wonder, you know, uh, 
cover your ears, Mo, that whether Mignon shouldn't be sort of anointed the successor to Larissa and Mondanda uh, as their as their careers wind down. Um, you, you know, well, I, I, think, I think that, I think it will be. I think I, particularly in the next few months when the Euros is over, um, that's that for Mandanda. and even Lloris maybe as we find success. Yeah, I, I I guess in concert with that though, I'm I'm a little frustrated why uh, Deschamps hasn't been more aggressive in 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 trying to to blood in um, Mignon. Uh, in in, in you know, I think mean, who else has he called in recently? The Comte. Um, he's called in. Oh, Ariola was with, with the team in the World Cup. Um, yeah. Costille, I think, has has gotten a call up as well. Um, I think Costille has been it's been a while though for Costille. He's really fallen down the uh, the pecking order. Uh, but actually, no, he was called up recently uh, for right. Sweden. Yeah. So but that yeah. was injury injury forced. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. But I. But I. I still the, the point stands. Mignon is twenty six. I. I think that. Um, you know there needs to there needs to be a a more concerted effort. There, there ought to have been a more concerted effort on Deschamps' part uh, to give him more of an opportunity, especially given since he hasn't been able to play at underage level for quite some time now. Um, you know that flipping the switch, you know that that was a, a luxury he didn't. Uh, you know if if we have both Larissa Mandanda retire uh, after this summer or maybe after the World Cup, I could I could see I could see Larissa. You know, going on until then, um, I think that is going to be a serious uh, issue of transition for for France um, in the three or four years to, to come, leading up to you know the next Euros in 2024 and the next World Cup in 2026. That that position needs to get experience uh, sooner rather than later, and it's it's mm. you know again, I, I'm who am I to to you know cast aspersions at Deschamps given what he's achieved with this side, but. Still, um, that succession plan has not been handled terribly well, in my opinion. I think that's something that we'll come on to um, towards the end of the show. I mean, uh, you know, I think it's one one criticism that has been leveled at Deschamps is kind of giving certain players um, a chance or, you know, the trust that he places in certain players. But I think uh, surely Mignon has to be... uh, um, has to be given more of a chance. I mean, he, he, I think he's made one, he made one appearance, didn't he? Um, last year, but, um, for, for the senior national team that is, but, but for my money, there isn't anyone better to, to replace, um, Loris and Mondanda, um, particularly, um, yeah, in that number one spot going forward. Um, anyway, I'm wary of, uh, of, of moving this on. Um, I would just like to quickly flag up something I mentioned at the start of the show, um, which is, um, kind of I guess one of the scenes of the weekend which took place in the the derby du Languedoc between um Nîmes and Montpellier which was um which is obviously a fierce rivalry in the in the southwest of France uh Andy Delors gave Montpellier um what he thought was the lead in that one and celebrated um in one of the more inventive ways I think it's fair to say that we've seen in recent times by running up to the camera pulling out a red crocodile uh, Haribo sweets, obviously the crocodile being Neem's um, mascot, Neem's club badge, and eating the crocodile, only for uh, VAR to rule it out. So safe to say he was left a bit embarrassed there, and, and Neem also took the lead four minutes later. But luckily, it was the law who uh, who equalised late on. Um, but yeah, one of the more bizarre scenes we've seen, um, and certainly worth checking out if you haven't had a chance to look at that yet. Um, the penultimate uh, thing we'll be discussing in this episode is the France under-21 squad, uh, which was announced this afternoon. Manager Sylvain Ripoll um, 
making uh, the uh, yeah making the announcement. Um, as a reminder, that the European Championships does not take place exclusively this summer. Rather, it begins with this month's international break and finishes in June. So there'll be two separate stages. The group stage, which takes place in this March international break, that is what this squad or other squad announcements for the under-21s are, are for. And then, um, yes, and then the knockout stages will take place um, in June. And the final squad for those will be announced in May, should, of course, France make it too. But just a uh, quick run through the squad. In goal, we have uh, Albon Lafont, of course, of Nantes, Ilan Mellier of Leeds, Dimitri Berto of Montpellier. In defence, Colin Dagba of PSG, Benoit Badiashil of Monaco, uh, Ibrahima Konate of RB Leipzig, Wesley Fofana of Leicester, Feitu Mawasa and Adrian Truffer at Rennes, uh, Pierre Kalulu at AC Milan, and Jules Koundé of Sevilla. In midfield, we have Matteo Guendouzi, who will be captaining the side, who's, of course, on loan at Hertha Berlin from Arsenal. Aurelian Chumeni from Monaco, Boubacar Kamara of Marseille, Romain Favre of Brest, Boubacari Sumare of Lille, Hussem Awa of Lyon, and Eduardo Camavinga of Rennes. And finally, attackers, Odson Edouard of Celtic, Randall Kolomouani of Nantes, Moussa Diaby of Bayer Leverkusen, Jonathan Okone of Lille, and Amin Guiri of Nice. Eric, what are your what are your thoughts on the squad? Are there any surprises there, either in terms of inclusions or omissions, or is this kind of more or less what we would have expected? Um, no for fun and no party. Um, I think the Monaco midfielder is a big <laughs> miss here. I would have him in ahead of Sumari. So, so this is the thing. I understand Sumari has this reputation, but I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like in terms of his ability to, you know, play as this the play as a cultured midfielder, uh, I just I don't necessarily know that I, I see it. I, I think if you've got a Chouameni and and um, a camera on the side uh, to to be sort of the the player who gets gets through a lot of work, um, you know why not opt for someone who's a bit more a uh, bit more creative? Uh, Maxence Kakari, I think would have as, have as much of a an, uh, an argument as as, as would Fofana um, in, to go in and play with Samore. Um, I think that for me, I think, yeah, everybody else I think is, I mean, I haven't been watching tons of um, AC Milan, uh, so I don't know about how well Kalufu's been doing. Um, and I also haven't seen a lot of Musa Diaby or Adson Edward, but Edward's goal record uh, with the youth internationals has mm-hmm. been good. Um, likewise, Diaby always impresses me when I do see him play for the, for the inter-21s. Um, Unfortunately, you know, Jeff and Adelaide's injury to, to sort of cast a shadow over this. You know, he's he's always been impressive um, when I've seen him for the Espoir as well. It's a shame that he's uh, missing out here. Um, but other than that, no, I, I think I think you really, you know, given one or two shifts to the left or the right in the midfield, I, I think it would be. Um, oh, there's there is that guy. Um, what's his name for PSG Mbappe, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. He is still eligible. Uh, he would. He is still eligible for this tournament. To about. Yeah. Just as a reminder of his his his, his precocity. Um, but no, I, I think that this is by and large a squad that not only recognizes players who have been impressive throughout, uh, but also does bring in some new faces, new faces who've been really impressive this season. I'm thinking particularly of 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 Fofana and and of Adrian Trufer at Ren. Um, you know, players who I think who, who are, have really taken a big step forward in terms of their level of play this season and and 
and Colo Mwane as well, um, and who are really, really deserving of that. I, I think Repo has this pretty much spot on. I, I can get the, the case against Kakare, for example, in terms of match time. Um, Fofana, I really think he should be in there, but again, um, he, we're sort of splitting hairs. Yeah, it's so, it's so competitive, isn't it? And, you know, highlighting there um, how young Kylian Mbappe still is, maybe we should be less harsh on, you know, the odd match against against Nantes where he where he doesn't turn up. Um, um, but 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 no, so, so Mo, um, I have some stats for you, which are summed up by the excellent uh, Dylan LeMay. I would recommend giving him a follow on Twitter. We retweeted this or mentioned this, I should say, uh, at GFFN. Um, so... In this squad, you have 1,149 combined league on appearances, 331 matches in Europe's other top five leagues, 69 Champions League appearances, 149 Europa League appearances, and 18 of these 23 players have played in the Europa League or Champions League. Also, seven combined French senior international call-ups between them. Surely, this side is, you know, head and shoulders above opposition favourites for, for this tournament? Um, yeah, there should be. I mean, compare that to um, it's probably the second favourites. I had a quick look, actually, around the squads in from other countries, particularly England, Portugal, yeah, Spain, Germany. Um, and, yeah, I mean, France is head and shoulders, um, probably even knees and toes ahead of the, the opposition. <laughs> and like you mentioned, um, they have not only a massive death, I even calculated myself, 20 of those players, with the exception of Berto, Dagba and Kalulu, um, are bona fide starters for their clubs. Um, so they have been uh, playing um, extensively. Most of them are playing, you know, really, really good football. Um, but half of them are you know, enjoying their breakout seasons, etc. Um, a lot of great stats and they're going to be providing... Um, the transition in a post-Euro 2021, post-World Cup 2022 into the France squad. And, when, you know, when you look at Germany, um, who have long been um, held as sort of a gold standard when it comes to youth development, and uh, Spain having won uh, these championships and, and you know, very recently they're defending champions and destroyed what was then a very, very good France squad in 2019. Um, in the semi-final, you'd think that uh, Sylvain Ripoll can... Um, can really do do the job. I think um, a lot of these players were in that 2019 squad. You had, uh, you know, Larsena, you had Ohemikana, you had Awa, Mustembele, uh, Guedouzi back then as well, uh, Bamba, uh, Marcus Turam, Olivier Cham, and Renat Deled. Um, and they were, you know, while, while coming through the group pretty well, did get um, absolutely turfed by a fantastic Spanish squad. Um, 4-1. So hopefully that, that won't be the case this time round and the under 21s uh, can produce uh, a fantastic uh, performance. Um, they've not won, obviously, this uh, this title since the 80s. Um, while they did come close last time, that only ended a really, really long stream, not even qualifying, which considering the depth that France had for a very long time now, and everybody recognises it, is a bit of an aberration, um, so that's something they'll look to put to bed. But, you know, as it comes in tournament football, particularly if they do qualify for the final four in Hungary, you know, that is going to be a, you know, pretty much a bubble. Some of those players might be surprise inclusions in, in the Euro. Um, you know, there's nothing to suggest that those 
who get called up today will have to be there in the in the summer um, in the final four. They can name a completely new team. Um, so you never know. There's a couple of players, as you've mentioned, um, in, in the list that you've mentioned, who are going to be still fighting for, for some major uh, trophies. And in the case of, uh, you know, just talking from from the angle that obviously my player, uh, Dubka Kamara, is, is, um, is concerned, you know, there's there's a very stuffy midfield in the national uh, team that uh, are pretty, you know, pretty much Deschamps' um, golden oldies favourites. Which are Nzonzi, um, Nzonzi, uh, Soko, and I don't know what escapes me, but you get the point. Um, you know, there's going to be openings for Kamara. Sure. There's going to be openings for Kamara in in defence. There's going to be openings. I think there's there's really place to be won and and spots to be had in the consciousness of Deschamps um, in the next eighteen months. And this tournament is going to go some way uh, to really solidifying that. And I think. Um, it's it's very exciting. Uh, I think they are overwhelming favourites, and they should just get the job done. Yeah, as you say, a bigger uh, opportunity here to kind of make an impact on the international stage. Even though lots of those players, as you also mentioned, have already um, featured in this tournament a couple of years uh, back, but obviously a lot more experienced now. One of those travelling, as as you mentioned, there, Mo, is of course Marseille's Boubacar Camera. Um, who will be the subject of our final section of the show. Uh, obviously, a more high-profile picture than we usually cover uh, in this segment. But I thought, you know, given our absence last week, it would be good to come back hitting. Uh, and also, we've seen um, Didier Deschamps' uh, comments just last week, I believe, that that, that Kamara is not quite um, ready for the first team, or not um, the senior team, I should say, the senior international team. Um, the 21-year-old was born in, in Marseille and came through Marseille's academy, uh, obviously kind of started in the first team as a centre-back, but kind of really made his name under André Villas-Boas as a defensive midfielder. Um, Mo, talk to us a bit about Kamara's background and, and, and his playing style. Um, yeah, so obviously it's been now, I think, three years. This is the third season that Kamara has now been a bona fide starter uh, at when he's still really only 21, um, having just turned 21 in, in November. Um, now, a very much a defensive midfielder, um, having converted there from centre-back. Um, in the early days of Andre Villas-Boas' reign, um, he is arguably the best, well, by far, first of all, the best uh, Marseille player at the moment in his position, and arguably the best um uh, the best defensive midfielder I think in the league in my opinion um, and in the opinion of Alvaro Gonzalez the best player in the league full stop which I think is a bit wow. fetched but, but we, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll allow him um, but yeah he's he's fantastic I think he's very assured he's a, he's a confident defensive midfielder he's got a good passing range on him he, he really uh, connects defence with the attack he's very combative um, in midfield and absorbs a lot of the pressure the opposition can be. He's very focal to that Marseille team, which you know converts very quickly from uh, playing at the back, um, going through Camara and then spraying it out wide or through the middle where Payet likes to operate um, from time to time. Um, he's he's very you know he's a, he's a fantastic game leader. I think he's highly highly intelligent. I think in his position, he is one of the best young players in the world for sure. Um, and it comes from, you know, the basic tenant that if you can manage to perform at a, a club like Marseille, you can pretty much do it anywhere. And not only has he managed to really increase his development and learning, but 
able to calmly negotiate pressure cooker environments. He is able to um, really become sort of the the first name essentially on the team sheets uh, these days, um, and also be a shining light where perhaps other teammates' performances have really gone down the toilet, so to speak, in the last month or two. I think that is testament to his qualities, and it's no surprise that not just European clubs like you know Arsenal have long held an interest. There are a couple of, I think, second-tier clubs who have always been monitoring and looking for uh, a player that could have got in the 15, 20 million euro range over the last year or two. But I think he's even eclipsed that even now. We're talking Barcelona, Manchester City, Juventus, um, and, the, and the value of north of 40 million euros. That just goes to show that even you know in this very weird year, um, his value is one of few that continues to rise and rise and rise. And I think um, a lot of people recognise it in Marseille. I think not only the fans recognise it, he's, he's one of the few uh, products of, of the Marseille Youth Academy, which is traditionally not one of the strongest um, in the country. Um, so there's a lot of pride in how he's developed. He's been with the top 16 of these 21 years now um, and really kicked on in the past year or two in that new formation that he finds himself is. And he's so good in that he actually doesn't think it's his favourite position. He he would love to play centre-back. He thinks he's more confident wow. and comfortable playing at the back, but he, he's really... Uh, very good where he plays so a very versatile player as well he really has it has it all and I think uh, given the fact that the way the season's gone of you know lots of ups and downs no one's ever questioned his performance his ability his his effort um, so yeah I mean I know Max and Lyrical I'm probably am a little uh, biased but I think <laughs> he is he is really really fantastic and like I said only 21 you know defensive midfielders aren't sexy at all they're not they're not, yeah. You know, most of them don't look at their uh, goal contributions, their sort of uh, tenacity and uh, contributions in the final third. Um, but you know, those that do really like to get deep in football, they recognise the, the the importance of players like Kamara in in the team's overall um, balance in in their sort of defensive shape, in their performance. Um, and I think, yeah, he's, he's a guy that's really on the on the high trajectory. So, you know, who knows? Who knows what will happen in the summer? I think if we're talking finances, you know, you look at him and I think some executives might see dollar signs. Um, and, uh, you know, he might be the first name out in the summer. I hope not, uh, because he, he will be difficult to replace. And I think having um, a young midfield of, you know, what Marseille likes to call Generation 99 with Mikael Cuisance and Pap Gay, uh, they've really come on leaps and bounds. Uh, well, Gay and uh, Kamara have. I think Kuisan has really just started to wake up. Uh, but having that sort of really powerful young midfield has has had been uh, a small uh, a small uh, bonus for for the team. So we'll see. I think, like we said, it's probably a bit early for for the France national team. But in my again humble opinion the fact that Enzonzi and and Co still stick around after many years mm-hmm. and I think they're they're on the wrong side of 30 I really don't see um the point of having them and I agree with Eric um not just for, for, for the goalkeeper situation that we spoke about with Manyan but I think Deschamps really needs to start thinking about how to in, incorporate some of the players I and mean, we've seen it sometimes where uh, you know Kamavinga came in on the back end of a a quiet international break you know, where there's no sort of hard, tough fixtures and incorporating Kamavinka because 
getting him acquainted with the national team and pretty much early on will help his development later on. Um, and I think I'd love to see things like that um, for, you know, by, by Deschamps or any, any future uh, coach going forward because they've got a supreme number of players um, in every position. I think it all can only aid their development. Kamara was, I don't know if he still is, but was the captain of the under-20 team. So I don't know who is for the under-21. I think it might be Gwanduzi. Uh, but it just shows, yeah. you know, yeah, the leadership abilities um, coming through the ranks, the age groups. And I think the um, the senior team is the logical next step. And I think it certainly should be a goal over the next 12 to 18 months. But fine, fine player. And I think, um, yeah, the world's his oyster sort of, sort of thing. That's as comprehensive view as you are likely to get anywhere. Um, Mo, just one final thing, just to kind of pick up on one thing you mentioned there, because we did have a question on Twitter um, by someone called Dictator Verratti, which I assume is kind of to do with style of play rather than politics, that name. But it was um, <laughs> it was a question regarding kind of players players moving this summer in light of kind of the financial difficulties of, of Ligue 1 associated with the, with the TV deals. You know, we've talked at length about this and you kind of mentioned Camara there. You mentioned um, a Barcelona, a, a Manchester City, a Juventus. If you had to kind, if you could kind of foresee him, I know this is obviously painful, and 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 you know we all hope that that he'll stay in Ligue 1. But should Kamara make the move to one particular team, where do you see him uh, most thriving? Um, it'd be City for me, um, because of their wonderful style of play. I mean, you know, some of the qualities of every player, every City player that he's particularly under Guardiola is to have a really good vision of the game, to be very comfortable playing with the ball but coming out with the ball and, and contributing uh, you know in advancing through the field I think uh, Kamara does that very very well and I think he does that perhaps even to a better extent than say Wangie, um over the last couple of years um, I think he would do pretty pretty well and I think City do love a versatile player they do love um, uh, some of the styles and, and qualities that Kamara possesses, like I've just mentioned, I think under Guardiola he could definitely um, hit the next level. And they've long been credited with an interest. I think Barcelona could also they could also do do the job. But you know, if, if, if <laughs> again, I'd, I'm not just looking into City because of the finances that they could perhaps <laughs> you know offer offer to them. <laughs> but I think he he really could do a a, re- a really good job in that team um, over the next couple of years. Um, and with the coach um, and the players around him, I think it would be a really, really good fit. But really, I think he could play anywhere. If he could play in Marseille, like I've said, long, long, um, you know, many times, he could play anywhere. He he really can. A special a special player. And uh, as I say, you know, one perhaps slightly kind of more high profile than, than the players we typically feature in this segment. But, but certainly um, a player worth... Uh, talking about. Thanks very much for that, Mo. And thanks also to Eric Devin for joining me this evening. As always, make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest news from the world of French football. And please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Eric Devin and Muhammad Ali. Stay safe, enjoy the football, and have a great week. <laughs>